Let's uh, open this uh, sermon up with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you for all the blessings of our life. I thank you for this great group of people that comes out week after week, Lord. I thank you for everything that you've done in advancing the work of our church. And now, Father, we bow before your throne. I ask you, Lord, that the words that we will hear today will be your words, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the present truth that we need. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I intend to spend the next four weeks in December speaking on the Christmas story. Every week, I will do another aspect of the Christmas story. I will speak about the various figures in the Christmas story and what God is, is indicating he is doing through the Christmas story. And I will do that right up until Christmas Eve. Uh, and on Christmas Eve, uh, in the middle of this concert that's going to be magnificent, I'm going to do uh, a sermon relating to Christmas. Uh, I will also, at that time, since we will have a lot of uh, strangers at the room, I will do a call to Christ in the message itself. Uh, and so you can pray for that even now as we begin to put this all together. And so today, the first aspect of this story is the Annunciation. The Annunciation, the angel... Gabriel, coming to this world and announcing to Mary that she will be the mother of our Christ. Incredible. When you realize that she was probably 13 years old. Uh, and this awesome responsibility given to this young world. Well, you know, when you look today at our culture, the culture has so devalued Christmas. Uh, really, very seldom do we get a chance to really focus uh, on what God really did at that period of time. Uh, if it's not for the Christmas carols, frankly, we wouldn't know anything, many of us, about Christmas. Uh, and so it's important for us to go back and look at what the Bible tells us. Because you know, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is given by God for inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, we need to see the facts of Jesus' birth in a correct light. It's critical for us. And so we are going to spend our time today focusing on the book of Luke. Luke is an extraordinary historian, possibly one of the greatest historians to ever live. Not only that, but he's also a missionary, a man of God, and he was able to write first-person accounts of of the birth of Jesus. Certainly theologians tell us that he had a chance to interview Mary at length, at length, uh, in addition to the other disciples. And so he carefully assembles the facts about Jesus' birth. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 30. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found 
favor with God. Well, you know, Catholics will recognize that verse 28 from the recitation of the rosary, Hail Mary, full of grace, in the Latin Vulgate. However, if you go back to the original Greek uh, in which it was first written, the original Greek does not read like anything like that because effectively what the angel said to her was, Rejoice, Mary, because you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. So she is highly favored that the Lord blesses her among all who are alive in the earth at that period of time to be chosen for the honor of bearing and raising the Son of God. Now Luke is actually suggesting uh, not that Mary should be adored for her favor with God, but rather that God should receive the glory and adoration for such a blessing on her that God would presume to honor the human race in such an incredible way. And so here she is. She is not just an ordinary Jewish teenage girl. Uh, and yet God has prepared her for this enormous blessing and displays his graciousness towards her at this time. And there are so many lessons that we can gain from looking at this. And so most commentaries tell us that she was between 13 or 14 years old, uh, which was common at that time for the age of, mar of marriage. And now we know that she was betrothed. And you know that betrothal during that period of time was effectively marriage. Once you were betrothed, you were married. Now, you didn't consummate that marriage, typically for a year, but in every way, you were considered to be married. And so verse 29 in this section of reading indicates that she was perplexed, disturbed, and agitated at the words uh, of the angel, but yet she did not melt into a quivering mess. Uh, and the reason for that is the Bible tells us that she was a serious thinker. Luke 2, 51 says that she kept all these things in her heart. All these things concerning Jesus. You can imagine having had that front row seat, seeing the birth of Jesus take place and seeing the parade of the Holy Spirit upon her in every way. And so she kept it in her heart. And so she was a serious, thoughtful young woman. Um, and so the angel continues to go on uh, and, and effectively speaks to her also about the prophecies relating, relating to the birth of Jesus. And this is in Luke 1, verses 31 to 38. And in that section, uh, he mentions two specific messianic prophecies from Isaiah that many religious Jews would be aware of. They were expecting the Messiah to come. Uh, and they knew that these prophecies had to come to pass in order for the Messiah to be born. Uh, and look at the key statements when you read that section of Scripture um, and the angel paraphrasing the, the prophecies. Look at the key statements. First, you will be with child. You will be with child. You will give birth to a son named Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will have the throne of his father, David. He will reign forever over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. This is impossible. I am a virgin. How can this be? It will be because the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. 
the Holy One, to be called the Son of God. Your old cousin, and this is the confirmation for you, your old cousin, Elizabeth. And when the Bible uses the word old, trust me, it's old. Your old cousin, who could never expect to have a child, who has been barren her whole life, is now pregnant, all right? And that's the sign for you that God is doing something extraordinary. And then after she hears this, she hears this, this is what she does in humble submission before God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. And this struck me so poignantly as I think about this young girl and all the plans that she must have had in her life. Think about it. She must have been thinking about this grand wedding that she would hold, that she would plan it, and all the gifts that she would have, and all the relatives coming together and the family coming together. You can imagine what's going on in her mind. And suddenly the curtain comes down, and God says, your plans are over. I have a greater call for you. You will be the one who will bear my son. And she bows in submission. She accepts it. She willingly accepts it. And so you see here how God will do great things to us when we bow in submission, when we expect him to do his will with our life. We don't say, wait a minute, God, I can't do that. I can't go there. I'm not equipped to do that. I'm only 13 years old. I'm already got a marriage. I'm planning. You don't hear that. You don't hear any of that. And so this is incredible. Now, one of the prophecies that she would have been aware of and that was paraphrased by the angel, was Isaiah 7, 14. And that prophecy had been on the books for more than 700 years, and it had confounded the Jewish elite. The religious leaders, they had no idea what it means. And in fact, even to this day, if you speak to a rabbi, they will tell you that they really can't get their hands around it. Uh, and, and so that verse says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. And Gabriel also inserted a second name there, one that the son would normally call, and that would be Jesus. And Jesus means Savior. And this is totally appropriate because only God himself could save. And so you see this coming together here, seeing, know, knowing that prophecy, and she would be aware of that prophecy, and suddenly seeing the angel explain how, in fact, a virgin could conceive because the Holy Spirit would come over her. And the second part of Gabriel's announcement in those verses comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, and one of the great verses in the Bible one of the keynote aspects of the Messiah, when George Handel wrote the Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amazing set of verses. And you reflect back on that music and you know how it touches your heart. And so the angel quoted these Old Testament verses to this 13-year-old girl in order to convince her that this was all coming together within the will of God. Obviously, God had chosen her to fulfill these prophecy. And so even when she says, how can this be? I don't understand it. The angel tells her the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He uses the language of overshadowing. Uh, and here's the thing. If you were a religious Jew and understood scripture, you would know that that terminology was used during the Exodus when the, the people of God were brought over out of Egypt, and it's when we learn that the Holy Spirit overshadowed them in protection with a cloud and, and fire as they walked and protected them throughout the 40 years that they were there. And so you would know that that language meant God would protect you. He would hover over you. He would be with you as he was with the Jewish people for 40 years. And so that would be a wonderful, peaceful sign to recognizing that this is God in every way. And then the sign to confirm that her, her older uh, aunt, her older cousin, excuse me, Elizabeth, uh, was six months pregnant. And when she went there, the Bible tells her that the fetus in Elizabeth leapt in the presence of the fetus of Jesus Christ. That's Luke 1, 39 to 42. Can you imagine? Leapt because the very purpose of the life of John the Baptist would be for, to point the way to Jesus Christ. It's so powerful. Uh, and Elizabeth says that to her, says it to her while this is going on. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Can you imagine? It's as if everybody is reading from a script uh, as God is putting all these disparate parts together. And so we see again the, the total submission of this woman to God uh, as she bowed before the angel and said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, God, whatever your will is, God, for me in my life, let it so be. Let it so be. Now the other part of this godly couple during this Christmas story uh, is Joseph. And we don't often talk about Joseph, and I'm going to do a whole sermon on Joseph later this month. But uh, the angel goes and speaks to Joseph, because you can imagine how heartbroken he is. Here is this woman that he thought he was going to marry and spend his life together with, uh, and now he finds out that she's pregnant. Uh, and in that culture, that was one of the worst things that could happen. She could be stoned and put to death. Uh, she could be exiled. There would be so much evil that would come down upon her. And so he, this poor man is now trying to come to terms with what this is about. And the angel of the Lord appears to him at night. Uh, and he is specifically told that the baby Mary is carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, this has to be an extraordinary man. Because most people hearing the, your wife's pregnant and she's conceived by the Holy Spirit, would go, maybe I had a bad pizza tonight before I went to bed, you know? 
I mean, really, think about it. The, the average person would re really say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you telling me? What kind of story is this? And he's told, though, not to be afraid, uh, but to take her as his wife, uh, and that the baby she is carrying is being prophesied by Scripture. And he's a religious Jew himself, uh, and he would be told that this is the one who would deliver his people from their sins. And Joseph obediently submits. He decides now that he will take care of her, he will take Mary, he will put her away carefully, uh, as his wife, and he seems to be a naturally caring and kind man, uh, well-suited for Mary, and no wonder God chose him. I mean, these are not well-educated people. These are simple people, uh, and like her, he did not fly off the handle. He handled it all with respect and submission uh, and, and an incredibly generous way of spirit as he submitted to the will of God in this way. The angel's word was enough. He didn't need to hear anything else. He understood what the word of God was, and so he bowed and would submit in every possible way. Now, this is something that you may not have heard before, and as I've studied this, uh, what I learned is that Mary, according to theologians, would be known as an Anawin. That's A-N-A-W-I-N, Anawin. It was a group of women who would be people best described as the pious poor. And there are three characteristics of people that would be considered Anawins. Uh, and that is, first, they, they, they yearned for justice. They wanted oppression to end. And they would join together at the temple to console one another with the hope and expectation of the coming Messiah. This helps you to explain the mindset of Mary and maybe also tries to give you some insight as to why God chose her to be the mother of God. And so you see the Christmas story is one of obedience and submission. A young girl receives a call from God on what was the biggest responsibility ever given to a person in this world. It also tells a story of a man, an older man, who bows again to the will of God, even understanding social pressures and gossip and slander and the custom of Jewish laws, and yet he bows to the will of God in obedience. And it's two people willing to say yes to God. And that's the essence of this message for you. Say yes to God. When God calls you with purpose in your life, say yes. Lord, how do you want me to do this? When do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to do it? You say yes, because when you say yes to God, he pours into your life greater responsibility and greater blessings. They were given the task of raising Jesus Christ, teaching him, the Jewish law and customs. Can you imagine? What a responsibility. They were asked to give Jesus the very foundation upon which his ministry would be built. And now after the birth of Jesus, we don't hear much about Joseph. Not really following the story of Jesus. We know that he'll go to the temple when he is 12 years old and they'll lose him for three days and they will find him there debating with the spiritual leaders um, and recognize that they lost Jesus and Jesus would say to them, don't you recognize that I have to be about my father's business? That gives you some insight into the kind of boy Jesus was. This was no mere 12-year-old boy, 
All right? And so this whole family is suffused with the Holy Spirit as God is just using the father and the mother uh, to raise Jesus Christ. But they were willing to say yes in obedience to God. And so their willingness to say yes to God paves the way for all of us today to be saved because Jesus would be raised and would go to the cross and die for our sins. And do not discount the importance of these people. She had to give birth. She had to endure the shame and the gossip and the slander and the ridicule and the whispers, and Joseph had to bear it also. But they were willing to do it for, the, for God. They understood what the nature was called upon for them to do. Now, why did Mary consent to this? Well, she consented because she knew God. She knew he was merciful and loving. And if he was bringing this to her, it was because he loved her and cared for us, her, and he would bring her successfully through it. She also knew that according to the scriptures, God had already protected a number, num, a number of women, including Rahab, Ruth, Esther, and others. So she said yes to God. She said yes to God in faith that all the things that she had been praying for that we talked about as an Anawin would come to pass. She talked about it. She, she had been praying for justice to come, and justice would come, for oppression to end, and oppression due to sin would end, uh, and that the poor would be lifted up. And yes, the poor of spirit would be lifted up. All would be accomplished. All of it accomplished through her son, the Messiah, the King of Israel. It is if, it is if she said to the Lord on that day, if this is how you want to start, then you can start with me. What an amazing message that is for you. That you leave here thinking that if God calls you to some uh, mission, some purpose that you say, Lord, if this is what you want, start with me. Call me. Now, it wasn't easy for Mary. These were difficult times. This would be difficult years. None of this would be simple. Eight days following the birth, eight days following the birth of Jesus, as the Jewish custom was in those days, the baby was presented at the temple and consecrated to the Lord. And I want to read to you what took place uh, at the consecration. And so she brings the baby in to be consecrated, uh, and her heart must have been soaring. She must have been so proud as she brought that baby in. And I'm sure Jesus was a beautiful baby. And so she brings it in, and Simeon, uh, an old prophet who had been praying that God would allow him to live until he saw the coming of the Messiah, is there. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 2, Verses 23 to 35. It says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh God. Oh God. Help me God. This is the message. It will be the cause of the rising and fall of many in Israel, and my own soul, my own heart will be pierced. You think she truly understood at that moment what God was doing? But you understand this is how we walk with Christ. We take the call. We walk in faith. Day one, we don't understand everything. It doesn't come together clearly. But as we walk faithfully, one step after the other, God reveals his word. And this is an extraordinary statement. You can imagine how this woman must have thought, I'm bearing the son of God. How can this be not realizing what we know now about how he would be rejected by Israel uh, and that ultimately he would be crucified in an ignominious way uh, and so, so incredible. And so even though she's holding this baby in her arms, it would be years probably, years of prayer and understanding really what the true work of salvation is all about. He didn't come to be a political leader. He didn't come to overturn the Romans. He came to deliver us from sin, to die on the cross. And yes, her heart would be pierced. And yes, he would be the rise and fall of many in Israel, some of whom would reject him, and yet some of whom would accept him. And so Jesus starts his ministry He starts his ministry, and pretty much on day one, he walks into the synagogue. And if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. He walks into the synagogue, and on that day, as he walks in, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah to read. And so Jesus proceeds to open the scroll that he has given. He didn't pick it. He is given. And it says in verse 17, Luke 4, 17 to 21, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me 
to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? They must have sat there slack-jawed, not recognizing what they had just seen as the word of God comes upon them and pulls the Old Testament prophecies out and, and puts it squarely on Jesus Christ. And think about what she had prayed for, all the things that she had prayed for as an Anuin. She was concerned about the poor. And Jesus said he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, the poor of spirit. And she was con concerned about the oppression. And he said he had come to free the prisoners and those who were hurting in their health. He had come for the recovery of sight of the blind and finally to set the oppressed free. Those who are oppressed by sin. Every human being born in this world under a sea of darkness, suffering from oppression of sin, he would set them all free. He would not be a political leader. Instead, he would be the Lamb of God who would go to the cross and be sacrificed for every single one of us so that we could come into the presence of God today. Look, this is a paradigm for us today. This is a story that needs to be read and reread and told to your family, to your friends. You need to open the scripture and let people know about it. They have to hear the words because here's the bottom line. The, we are all called for a different task in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us. I don't have your call on my life I, and you don't have my call on your life. But you have a call. You have a call, uh, and you have talents, and God has gifted you for a purpose. And so while we might not get the message from Gabriel, but we get the message through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us as we know what his will is, and we have the Holy Spirit residing in our heart. And so through Scripture and through prayer, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and pricks our hearts. And so do we bow before the throne of God? Do we say, as this 13-year-old girl said, Yes, Lord, in your will, Father, let it be so with me. Let it start with me. And that's the message really for us today in the Christmas story. Let it start with me, Lord, just as you let it start with this girl, Mary, and with Joseph, bowing in humility and submission. And the world would never be the same. Amen, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Mary and Joseph, for their willingness, Lord. I thank you that you've given us Christ. And now, Lord, I ask you that in this month, we spend all of our time studying this and reading this and praying about this so that we can give this message of hope to a world lost in sin. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God Amen. bless you.